This morning, I'm going to be very, uh, very brief. I uh, just want to spend a few minutes in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 33 to 37. Uh, these verses are, to a very large degree, self-explanatory. Their message is not in any way, shape, or form hidden. And sometimes when we read those kind of passages in the Bible, we actually have a temptation to gloss over them. So sometimes those things that are plain to see, we don't give the credit or the emphasis that they deserve. We sometimes save that for things that may sound or appear much more spiritual. And it's interesting that this down-to-earth passage follows one of those, I'm going to call it supernatural, super-spiritual events that in the same chapter, at the beginning of chapter 9, there's this transfiguration of Jesus. Something so beyond words, something so beyond explanation, and something just like, okay, let's talk about that. Because that sounds amazing. The Christian faith embraces those things that are beyond our understanding. And for me personally, I am so willing and so happy actually to say that I serve a God whose ways and whose thoughts are so far beyond mine. But it's also true that the Bible, and even Jesus himself, has a way of talking about the reality of things that are truly amazing, and then very quickly talking about what that means in terms of life. So what does that mean in terms of how I walk, how I live my life, and the answer to that question is usually very easy to understand. It's not something we really need to grapple with or try to figure out. There are times when Jesus, and he often did, he spoke in parables. He spoke in stories that challenged people to probably ask the question after the story was finished to say, Okay, what did that mean? What was Jesus trying to tell us in that parable? But there are also times when Jesus spoke very plainly. That he would have expected his audience, whether they were the disciples, whether it's today the church, or whether it's you and me as individuals, he would say to us, you need to take this at face value. 
take this, and somebody asked me a question related to this this morning, but I'm going to say this. Take this, literally. Don't overthink it. Don't over-spiritualize it. Mark 9, 33 to 37. So this, as I say in chapter 9, all happens after this amazing event that Peter, James, and John witnessed, transfiguration of Jesus. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer. Because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And almost as if to Emphasize that, he says, he put a little child among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. The disciples had been engaged in a private conversation about power and about position. And when Jesus asked them, so, disciples, what were you talking about out there on the road? They fall silent. I think many of us have probably experienced that kind of awkwardness. To be in conversation when all of a sudden someone else who also has skin in the game enters the room and suddenly the room goes, I'll say awkwardly, quiet. As I thought about that, that this week, even though the disciples did not fully understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about being the Messiah, about rising from the dead, it's interesting, I believe their silence spoke to the fact that they knew that this conversation was one that they would not have had if Jesus had been with them out on the road. They were not discussing the merits of self-denial. They were discussing the prospect of self-promotion. And Jesus says to them, anyone who wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. This call that Jesus, it's not even really a call, it's a statement that Jesus gave to his disciples is a message that Paul 
wrote and repeated to almost every church to whom he wrote a letter. That in the kingdom of God, serving is what we are called to do. Servants is who we are called to be. One of the struggles of the church in 2017, and it's not new, is that of raising up volunteers. That you might say true volunteers are tougher to find, tougher to rally, and I know there are some valid societal reasons that play a part in that. That life is not the same as life was 20, 30, 40 years ago. But in spite of that, the church requires the hands and the feet, literally, of volunteers. Creekside is, and always has been, a bit of an anomaly in that regard. According to uh, Wikipedia, when it comes to volunteerism, Wikipedia would say that, well, Creekside deviates from what is standard, normal, or expected. And that's a good deviation. Our ratio of volunteers to attenders, you might say, is quite high. So many people within Creekside Church serve in practical ways. But I think we sometimes are using the wrong word. And if there's anything that sort of struck me this week as I was thinking about that, it's this. The word volunteer implies something optional. So that the ability to opt out is a reasonable response. When we use the word volunteer within the context of the church, we should actually be using the word servant. So I might argue that volunteerism is kind of a secular idea. Servanthood is a biblical idea. Faithful volunteers, even within Creekside, are actually saying, by their actions, I am willing to be a servant. I am willing to serve the church, to serve other people. And it should not really be seen as an option I think Jesus would say servanthood is a trademark of who we are called to be. There are a few things that happened in the last couple of days and everything talking about Warren as a faithful servant. Uh, yesterday driving down Rutland Road, 
there is a church there that often has somewhat interesting words posted on their marquee. Sometimes I absolutely grimace by what is sometimes put outside of churches, but this one, because it seemed so directly to relate to the message, I thought, you know what? This one is valid. It said, don't point a finger where you haven't lent a hand. Don't point a finger where you haven't lent a hand. There's no verse that says that. But the message that Jesus is giving his disciples, the message that Jesus is giving his church, kind of falls in line with that sentiment. I don't want to be overly critical of the church. Too many people are. I do not want to be one of them. And I had some things written down here, and I was struggling with whether they were necessary, which probably means they weren't. But this morning when I was driving to Lake Country, uh, was a, I went a, left a bit earlier, and so on the radio, uh, on the AM dial early Sunday morning, you can find Christian broadcasting, and was Charles Stanley was speaking. And he was speaking this message, and I thought, wow. And he made the following statement, and I know I'm going to, uh, this is going to be not exactly word for word because I couldn't memorize it. But he said the church, in the church, and he talked about his own church. He said, I'll find lots of people who are willing to attend. I find lots of people who are willing to listen, to pray. Lots of people who are willing to give a little of what God has given them But he said, you can do all those things and never have to take on the form of a servant. And I thought, wow, that is true. And it's a bit of an indictment against the church. That you can do a whole pile of things that are really good things without ever having to step out and say, God, I want to serve. Even though Jesus, the one we are called to follow, was the ultimate example. May and June will find us uh, in transition at Creekside. Sometimes, I will confess, I'm a bit worried and at times a bit anxious. And I know the Bible says that that is not good. I need to cast those things upon God. We will transition in a very real way from depending on some servants to relying more and more on each other. And perhaps even stepping into areas of serving where you haven't served before. After 10 years of incredible faithful service, uh, Norma and Vern Skog, 
are stepping down from kind of overseeing our coffee ministry. Coffee ministry. It's an interesting combination. But, um, so there will be a changing of guard in that area of Creekside Church. And when I think about Norma and Vern, and I, I don't know ages, but I believe they're comfortably in their 80s, have continued to serve the church of God. Haven't said, you know what, done, finished, tired. And I forget what book it was that um, my wife Eva was reading, uh, and there was a comment in the book with the whoever was writing it said, Somehow the concept of retirement is actually not one that you will find biblically. That as long as we've been given life and health and breath and strength that God wants us to serve. And I think, Bert and Norma, you've been such a quiet, beautiful example of that willingness. And I know God will provide. I think uh, this is not something that we can't handle. But I also wanted to say thank you to you this morning. I think we're going to probably need to rally a few more set-up people. Because if it depends on me coming early, that will be no guarantee of things working. So, you know, we'll need to have some people around who actually know where things should plug in in order for things to sound proper. You might argue that these are not the kind of roles that Jesus had in mind when he talked about being the servant of all. That Jesus was talking about something much grander, uh, some serving that had um, much more glory attached to it. And I would argue that those are exactly the kind of roles that Jesus is referring to. In the kingdom of God, in the economy of things that are eternal, you might want to say the mountaintop experiences, this transfiguration of Jesus, which these disciples witnessed. When Jesus talks to them as they go down the mountain, he's saying to you, to them, mountaintop experiences, things of eternal value, are built upon a foundation of servanthood. Peter, James, and John's life did not go without incredible struggles, persecution, torture. The Bible says that those who are humble will be lifted up. Those who put themselves last will be first. Those who serve will reap the reward. And it may not even be a reward here. But it will be in eternity. So this morning, I speak this out simply as a challenge to us as a church. Really, it's an invitation. It's an encouragement to you to ask the question of God within the context of Creekside Church, 
God, where would you have me serve? I'm going to close there and leave that with us. Um, There are times uh, in chapter 8, I think, when Jesus was talking about his suffering and about what it meant to be the Messiah. I think a language in that chapter said, and he spoke plainly. To me, this passage in Mark is Jesus speaking real plainly to the church of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for the presence of God within Creekside Church. Father, that the Spirit of God lives within your people and within your church. And Father, this morning, as we just think about these few words that Jesus spoke, uh, Father, I pray that they would challenge us, uh, each one of us, uh, to look at, Father, what you would have us do. Uh, Father, sometimes there are things we don't need to wait for. There are simply things we need to step out and do. Father, I want to thank you for the many, many faithful servants within Creekside Church. Father, would your hand of blessing be upon them, their homes and their families. And Father, would you inspire in us a willingness to serve Father, as we serve the church, as we serve each other, we actually are serving you. Speak to us, I pray, even this week, in Jesus' name, amen.